Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast edition. And we are recording this on Thursday, November the 21st. And on this show, we're going to run through some of the top news items in the world of wrestling this week. We're also going to go through the results of AEW Dynamite from last night, as well as there's some news items from Impact Wrestling and NWA Power from Tuesday night. But just starting out with some news items, and I do want to start out in Impact Wrestling, where on Tuesday night, Tessa Blanchard won a six-person gauntlet match, pinning Brian Cage as the final elimination, and the win for Blanchard earns her a title shot against Sammy Callahan and the Impact World Championship on the next pay-per-view for the promotion, Hard to Kill, January 12th. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. And as someone who's been covering Impact Wrestling for the last two years, and it's interesting because on the sites that I cover Impact Wrestling for, well, on one site, on SE Scoops, where I cover Impact, nobody wanted to cover Impact. <laughs> and, like... Before Don Callis came around, nobody really wanted to do it. I was only willing to give it a shot after Don Callis got hired for a couple of reasons. One, I remember Don Callis or Cyrus the Virus from ECW, and I thought, well, this could be interesting. And at the time, Don Callis was making a, a bit of a return splash in the wrestling industry. He was the color commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling at the time, and also helped set up the Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho match at the Tokyo Dome. So at that time, I was like, all right, let's do it. We'll give Impact another chance. And since the Don Callis regime has taken over, at some point, they all sat down looked at Tessa Blanchard and went, we have to go not only all the way with this, we have to push her more than any female wrestling talent has, like she's been given more opportunity than any female wrestling talent since China in her promotion, like relative to her promotion. And now Tessa Blanchard is going to main event a pay-per-view. She's already main evented pay-per-views for Impact. Her first intergender match with Sammy Callahan. Can't remember what pay-per-view it was. Hold on. I'll just press pause and look it up. And I'm back immediately to mention that it was Slammiversary uh, back this summer. Where Sammy and Tessa, even though there was no title on the line, it was the main event. Now they're going to main event another pay-per-view, Hard to Kill, but this time the Impact World Championship will be on the line. They also main evented the Unbreakable show, which was uh, Impact Plus streaming event. I don't think it was a Twitch event, but it, the, it was Unbreakable. I think it was Impact Plus. It was either Impact Plus or Twitch. And that main evented uh, that show as well. Now, Sammy has won both of the matches, but now this third match, I mean, it's going to have the world title on the line. And you have to wonder if there's a chance, maybe even a good chance, that Tessa Blanchard walks away from the Hard to Kill pay-per-view on January 12th as the new Impact Wrestling World Champion. 
And I kind of wonder what that means for her career past Impact Wrestling and how what she does in her post-Impact Wrestling career, how that's going to impact Impact, <laughs> if that makes sense. And what I mean by this is, at some point, Tessa Blanchard is going to leave this promotion. I mean, unless something drastic happens, unless Impact Wrestling explodes in popularity, there's a very good chance that Tessa Blanchard is going to sign with either AEW or WWE. In AEW, I mean, Tess, T Tully Blanchard is already there. And so many people have said, well, I mean, it, it seems like she would go to AEW. She, she wrestled on All Out, or All In, sorry. The first, the first show that was technically Cody with Ring of Honor's Blessing. But regardless of where she goes after Impact, if she's a former Impact World Champion, that's something which is likely going to be talked about on air, especially if she goes to AEW, which just seems a little more willing to discuss a wrestler's past in other promotions. Though not always. We've seen some, you know, we saw AEW kind of ignore when John Moxley was the IWGP United States uh, Champion, but you have to wonder... If Tessa Blanchard shows up in AEW after having been the Impact World Champion at some point, will they not mention that frequently on AEW television? And could that not then be sort of an advertisement or a promotion of Impact Wrestling that Tessa will inadvertently give throughout her career? As announcers say, Tessa Blanchard is so talented, she actually won the Impact World Championship, the first female wrestler to, to win the World Championship of a major promotion. And that sort of serves as like, like a little advertisement for Impact Wrestling, right? If that's, if that's what the announcers are talking about when Tessa Blanchard shows up in larger promotions... I think that could turn out to be pretty good for Impact Wrestling. Not saying that that's what's going to happen. But Tessa Blanchard has a chance to really achieve history. And she came very close to winning the X Division title on the last pay-per-view. If you remember, she was just about to climb the ladder and claim the X Division title when Ace Austin jumped out of nowhere knocked her off the ladder, and sort of stole the title. And now we've got Ace Austin entering a very interesting rivalry with Trey from the Rascals, and perhaps a romantic relationship with Trey's mother. There's a lot of reasons to watch Impact Wrestling right now. Tessa Blanchard is one of them. Trey from the Rascals' mother and Ace Austin plotline is another. Actually, there's tons of reasons to watch Impact Wrestling right now. Uh, it's, it's a good show. Like They have lots of very interesting storylines going on right now, not the least of which is the one where Johnny Swinger took a crap in Ken Shamrock's bag. And those two, I believe, will go one-on-one -on -one next week after Shamrock sort of confronted Johnny Swinger this week. Another reason to watch Impact Wrestling right now is Rob Van Dam. 
And Rob Van Dam is now uh, a a quote-unquote heel, a bad guy in Impact Wrestling. But the Rob Van Dam character has stayed completely consistent. It's just now he's getting booed. But Rob Van Dam has always been this cocky, arrogant, full-of-himself wrestler. It's just everybody cheered him for it. But now he's this cocky, arrogant wrestler who says, oh, all the all these new wrestlers are stealing my moves. But also, this Rob Van Dam that we've seen since he uh, turned on Rhino at Bound for Glory. I think it was Bound for Glory. I'm not going to look that up. That Rob Van Dam doesn't appreciate the fans. And that came into play this week as well, because on last week's show, Rob Van Dam had said, I'm going to be on Impact Wrestling this week. But then this week shows up, and remember, I mean, they'd already taped the episode, so it's not like the live crowd was being promised Rob Van Dam would be there and they were somehow denied this. So, but then this week, we get another video from Rob Van Dam at the pool, and he basically... Just said, ah, well, my travel arrangements didn't work out. They wanted me to take a flight at 11 a.m. And I don't get up that early. So whatever, I'll just, I'm just still here. So the whole thing is like, Rob Van Dam is so arrogant, full of himself, that he he can't even be bothered to show up to his bookings. So there's a third reason to watch Impact Wrestling right now. Tessa Blanchard challenging for the world title. Rob Van Dam as a heel. Johnny Swinger taking a dump in Kem Shamrock's bag. And Ace Austin growing... Ace Austin's growing infatuation with Trey's mother. That's four reasons to watch Impact Wrestling. But let's move on from Impact Wrestling. For, For the time being, we'll get more into it as we move closer to Hard to Kill. But there was a very notable Twitter thread that began on Monday this week, which we really can't go without mentioning. So basically, CM Punk, who made his debut on WWE Backstage on Tuesday night, he sent out a tweet basically saying, uh, well, here, I'll just pause and I'll get the actual thing. Okay, so I'm back immediately, and CM Punk's tweet read this. It is weird to catch up on five-plus years of wrestling. I'm doing what I can. There's bright spots, mostly women from what I can tell. There's bad, too. I'm going to talk about it, and no one is safe. Join us. And this is what I kind of mentioned on the show we did on Friday or the weekend or whatever where CM Punk has not been following wrestling. So he's going, he's got to go head first into five plus years of wrestling to get caught up. And that's what he's doing. So whatever, he sends out like a fairly, you know, you know, there's nothing to this tweet really. He's just saying, hey, no one's safe. I'm gonna, you know, hey, watch out for me. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to call a spade a spade kind of thing. Like, if it's bad, I'm going to say it's bad. So then Tony Khan... Oh, so Tony Khan is tagged in this tweet. So CM Punk has tagged him. 
And at this point, I think the folks from AEW feel like they got to say something, right? We're tagged in this. Punk has not been great to us in the media kind of thing. You know, he, he, I mean, CM Punk has been critical of AEW a little bit in the media saying he, he, he felt that how they approached him was unprofessional or he got texted an offer or, you know, so Tony Khan writes in, no one is safe. Sounds like a plane full of wrestlers in Saudi Arabia. So that's, I mean, there's no other way, like, I'm a big fan of Tony Khan and everything that he's done for professional wrestling in this last year, but there's no way to take that other than antagonistic, right? Like he's, he's trying to get a rise out of somebody that's tagged in this thread, or he is attempting to make it so that CM Punk has to address the plane being stuck in Saudi Arabia on the show, which they did not address and they don't really need to. Um, for whatever your opinion is on what happened in Saudi Arabia, I'll just say this. I work in traditional media as well as wrestling media. And in traditional media, if I pitched an article that said the WWE wrestlers were held hostage in Saudi Arabia, if I pitched that to an editor based on the evidence and the information that was available, I would get laughed at and I'd never be invited back to edit or to pitch an, an article to that uh, outlet, right? Like it's when people are detained at borders and not allowed to leave countries, their passports are taken. They're not allowed on flights and they're certainly like, they're not allowed on planes that are on runways, they're detained at airports, and certainly none of them are allowed to leave on other planes. So there's no evidence at all to support the idea that somehow these people weren't being allowed to leave the country. There's just none. You know, like, and I'm not going to shy away from any ethical concerns that might exist concerning WWE. But there's no evidence to support the idea that the people weren't allowed to leave the country. All of the evidence says they were allowed to leave the country. They just couldn't for some reason. And the official story is that the 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 plane that they had chartered, because remember, like this is like to get from like there this isn't a public flight you can take, right? So there's one flight crew, and they went over time, and at that point they had to sleep. I can't imagine that Tony Khan doesn't know that. Like, I don't think there's not one part of me that actually believes that Tony Khan believes that these wrestlers were in any danger in Saudi Arabia. He's just trying to get a rise. And so Randy Orton then responds. I don't know if Tony Khan's trying to get a, a rise, but he was tagged in the tweet. So at that point, it's almost like they're using Tony Khan's name to be like a little edgy. Like, I'm going to talk about everything in wrestling. You know, nothing's off limits. And I'll show that by even tagging the president of another wrestling company. I mean, you're basically inviting Tony Khan to say something that you don't want said, right? 
So I can't blame Tony Khan for being antagonistic in this situation, but he was totally antagonistic. Like, he clearly said what he said to get a rise out of people, to get, you know, it's like, okay, if you're going to use my name to get a little bit more attention on your tweet, I'm going to use this issue and possibly force you to address it on your show, which they never did. Or if they did, it was uh, very brief and not anything which sort of was addressed. So Randy Orton then uh, puts out something. Well, hold on. Let me just figure out what, what he said. All right. So Orton then comes on and he... He just put some article out there from a, a like a website I've never even heard of called sportsnot.com and it's about uh, Shahid Khan being investigated for corruption. And Randy Orton wrote, "What's that whole thing about glass houses and stones?" So then Tony Khan writes back, I thought you only tagged me in your post when you were grasping for leverage. That article's over a year old, plus it's about baseless claims made about my dad a year ago. That's the best you can do? Nothing. Meanwhile, in the time since that was written, you used the N-word on Twitch. And apparently this did happen. Uh, it must have gone crazy under the radar. Um, now, I don't know what context Orton said the word in or whatever but uh anywho so tony khan writes that now at the time this is happening raw is on like wwe raw on monday nights is airing randy orton's been on the show gone to the back been on twitter and then would go out later for the main event so this thread is taking place during Raw. And I thought to myself, finally we've got a war. You know, AEW and WWE had been so cordial to each other up, up into this, you know? I mean, maybe not cordial, they'd done some things, but it really hadn't felt that, like, that much of a conflict or that, or that much uh, antagonistic. This was the most antagonistic thing that's happened in the war thus far. Was all of these sides just chirping at each other on social media like they're in high school. You know, we got vice presidents, presidents, multi-millionaires on Twitter talking, talking shit about each other. And, and that's... And this really serves to me as the first example of the Wednesday Night War being similar to the Monday Night War, or at least being as as conflicting or as angry or combative. I think combative's the right word. These were two sides that were angry at each other, and they were bickering at each other. And it happened during Raw. And then Orton would go on Corey Graves' podcast. The Well, actually, he was on, he recorded the interview with Corey Graves that morning. And then it aired, I guess, Tuesday or Wednesday. And Orton basically said on that, he talked about his recent contract negotiations with WWE and basically said he never saw himself leaving WWE. There's so much history with his family there, his father. 
cowboy Bob Orton was there for many years. Uh, Orton's grandfather worked for Vince McMahon Sr. So there was a lot of reasons for Orton never to leave WWE, but that was this crazy Twitter thread, which took place all in the replies to a thread started by CM Punk, who never went back in and, and commented on it. And much of his appearance on WWE backstage it really had nothing to do with it. But speaking of Punk on WWE backstage, he was asked by Renee Young, what, what's, what's the likelihood of Punk getting back in the ring? And basically what he said leads me to believe it's absolutely going to happen someday. Maybe not for several years, but yeah. Almost entirely based on Punk's comments on WWE backstage, I now absolutely believe he will get back into the ring at some point. So Renee Young asked him, you know, what are the chances? And he basically said, like, I'm not actively pursuing it. It's nothing I'm interested in. But I also know I'm 41 years old. And I've lived a, a, an experienced life, enough so that I know never to say no. And I'm sure Punk knows that he's leaving a lot of money on the table not having that match. And how much Punk cares about money, who knows? But I mean, if he's thinking, you know, I want to have enough money so that me and AJ are comfortable in our later lives, or I want to fund some projects that are important to me, maybe I want to launch a comic book, maybe I want to invest in something, maybe, you know, all of those things become easier if he just does a few more matches. Maybe a couple of matches in Saudi Arabia. Punk's not someone who is going to care if other people label him a sellout. That's the beautiful part about punk rock. You can do whatever you want, and as long as you don't care about what other people say about you, you're still punk rock. So punk would continue to say, I mean, a very large bridge would have to be built. Sort of saying, hey, both sides have burned their bridge with the other one. So there would have to be a lot of mending done. And Triple H, when he was asked about it, he basically said the, the same thing. Like, we're a very long ways away from that happening. But how far would we actually be from just one CM Punk versus Seth Rollins match at WrestleMania? How far are we from that, really? Is Punk going to turn down a seven-figure payday for one match with Seth Rollins at WrestleMania? I don't know. I, I don't know. But you know Rollins would want that. You know WWE would want it because it would mean money. And it, it further takes Punk away from AEW, which means money to them as well. At some point, somebody is going to present this to CM Punk. It might, in fact, very likely be Seth Rollins. How much money do you think he's willing to turn down? How many more years do you think he's willing to just let money sit on the table? I don't know. But based on what he said in 2019, we are closer to a CM Punk return to the ring than ever before. And arguably, we are closer to it than anybody 
may have thought possible just a few years ago. All right, let's get off CM Punk on WWE backstage. I just wanted to quickly talk about an interview which is up on our website with the former Enzo Amore, now known as Enzo. Enzo. Sort of Enzo, like he's N-Z or Z-O. And it was pretty interesting what he said. I mean, we've got the transcripts up. You can listen to uh, the whole interview is also up on our website or on Chris Van Bleet's YouTube channel. Uh, I do all the transcripts for Chris for, well, not all of them, but he sends me some and I'll transcribe them for him and send them back. And I, th- I thought this was a really interesting interview. He gave an update on Big Cass, right? And it's just so clear to me, like, what a good friend Enzo is to Big Cass. And I know they had sort of a falling out in WWE. But yeah, I mean, Enzo talks a lot about how he's had to learn how to be friends with someone going through mental illness. And I thought that was a really, and this is going to sound patronizing, but it was a really grown-up thing for Enzo to say. You know, and Enzo isn't exactly a guy you go to and was like, there's a mature man with a head on his shoulders. But Enzo said a lot of really uh, intelligent and he said he said a lot of things that have shown this is a guy who has grown a lot in the last few years. And, well, I'll just read you kind of what he said here about Big Cass. Here's what Enzo said. He goes, I spoke to him yesterday. He's talking about Big Cass. He's doing everything he possibly can to be the best version of himself. Will we ever see him in tights again? Honestly, I can't tell you. I have no idea. I just know one thing. That the best friend that I had is not the same guy that's been walking around the past couple of years. The things he's been dealing with mentally, I can't relate to. Just because I can't relate, I've had to learn that it doesn't mean I can't understand because it's real. Mental health is real, and I saw it firsthand. It's real, and this guy is going through something that I would consider a disease, and other people are going through that. If he can come out of this thing and inspire people in ways that Tyson Fury has, that's a new purpose for him. And that quote from Enzo, that's what he said there, and that that was just all off the cuff that he said. You don't, like, I... I honestly believe, based on what Enzo said there, that Enzo has made a lot of effort in his life to learn about what his friend is going through and how he can be a good friend to him. And I thought that was really touching, to be honest. And I emailed Chris Van Vliet and I said, I I really thought this interview was great I really you know and uh and we agreed you know man we I we, we both agreed that we've got a lot of respect for how Enzo has sort of grown here in the last few years because it's certainly an experience to go from worldwide fame that he had to a completely uncertain future 
uncertain financially, uncertain in terms of what you're going to be doing, uncertain in terms of the goals you're going to be chasing. It takes a lot of growing to, to go through that, to experience that, and come out a happy person from it, to come out a better person from it. And I feel like Enzo's doing that. And I'm really interested to seeing or in seeing how far he grows. So good on Enzo. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Enzo and Big Cass. And that tends to happen anytime the social media hate wagon really decides they're going to get on somebody. I find I have a natural inclination to support that person. Because we've seen that so much. And we've seen wrestlers who everybody says are good people get labeled as these abhorrent jackasses who need to be gone from wrestling. And I hate to even give the example, but he doesn't give any hate anymore, so I guess I feel a little safer saying it. But Rich Swan was almost bullied out of wrestling by social media. So there was this so he's married to Sue Young. And there was an incident where witnesses, you know, thought they saw something and called it in. And police arrested Swan, but dropped all the charges. And it's just one of these things where, like, if you look at it on the surface, okay, maybe Rich Swan did something bad. Maybe Rich Swan isn't a good guy. But then all the people who know Rich Swan came out and said, no, he's a good guy. And Sue Young came out and said, no, no, he's a good guy. This isn't, you know, we can't talk about what happened, but what it sounds like happened is not what happened. But everybody decided, screw Rich Swan, we want him out of the business. And they're sending him nasty tweets. And, and Rich Swan said at one point, you know what, uh, fine, I'm leaving. And luckily, fortunately for all of us who are wrestling fans, Impact Wrestling was able to give him a job and keep him from retiring. So the social media hate wagon decided that based on extremely limited information, that they were entitled to chase somebody out of wrestling. And that's bullshit. That's something that all wrestling fans should actively seek to prevent happening. There was a large group of people, none of them knew Rich Swan, none of them had worked with Rich Swan, but regardless, they decided they were entitled to try and end this guy's career, which is an entitlement I can't even wrap my head around. And then guys like Will Ospreay are coming out and saying, no, guys, you're getting the wrong... Like, no. <laughs> like, this is a really nice guy. Everybody likes him, you know. And so we have to be careful of that. We, we really have to be careful of deciding that someone is a terrible person based on limited information. Now, I'm not saying we can't ever do it. Certainly, you know, the evidence about... Uh, What's-his-face there? Um, Harvey Weinstein or whatever. Yeah, okay, all right. I can see why the hate train is around there. That's fine. 
but it's the, the social media hate train based on limited information. Based on, in this, in the case of Rich Swan, really limited information. And, you know, social media will just decide that somebody is bad, therefore it's okay to hate on. And I think we see that too much. I'm not saying it shouldn't ever happen. In extreme cases, sure. But in cases where there's limited information available, we really just should not be hating on people. So I wonder if maybe a lot of the hate around Enzo and Big Cass falls into the same category. But there was a lot of more interesting parts of that information with Enzo. And I'm not going out on a limb saying Enzo's the greatest guy in the world or anything like that. But I can definitely tell you, he is a person that is growing as a person. He's growing in terms of the quality of person that he is. Or at least that's sort of what is evident in what he's been saying publicly. Now let's go on another case of social media impacting people's employment. But this one's a little bit different. Jim Cornette is now gone from NWA power. And there's been two incidents of things that Cornette has said, which has really irked people. He made a joke about somebody killing himself, which prompted the NWA to issue a statement saying that's not really funny. And he's made several comments I'm not going to get into the individual comments. There's actually... Uh, <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> I, 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 There was one on this episode of NWA Power that I'm not going to repeat, but fans noticed it, and they ended up pulling the episode, uh, editing out the comment, putting it back online. But Cornette will make these jokes that he said in the 80s that just aren't going to fly in 2019. And it's not just on the show. On the show, you know, he'll say some stuff, but on his podcast and wherever. This is a guy who has really gone out and, and hated on a lot of things in wrestling. He's hated on Joey Janela. He's hated on Joey Ryan. Uh, he's made comments that offended people about homosexuals, about uh, dif different races, and and you gotta wonder, and he was with MLW earlier this year too, and after that whole thing with Sonny Kiss and Sammy Callahan throwing a water bottle at him, MLW just quietly said, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't need to bring him back anymore. And they didn't say it was for any reason, but he's not there anymore. And you kind of wonder, hey, man, our, our promotions have just learned that even though Cornette has fans and he's certainly got talent, but it's just not worth it. It's just not worth the constant offending of other people that he does. And it's not just uh, like, obviously, you know, we can't just say, oh, somebody gets offended and they're right. But we've, look, wrestling is for everybody and we've got to try and make it so that 
people aren't hearing these comments that make them think, oh, the, I'm not, this isn't for me. This isn't being made for me because I'm from this group or I'm from that group or something. That shouldn't be a part of wrestling at all. At all. It, it shouldn't happen ever. Everybody should know that if they're a wrestling fan, no matter their gender, sexuality, race, religion, whatever, that you can be a wrestling fan. And so you can argue each individual thing that Cornette has said, and you can argue, oh, well, this was racist or this wasn't racist. But at the end of the day, there's just been too many examples of Cornette making people feel like wrestling isn't for them. Like wrestling isn't for them because they're a certain gender, they're a certain sexuality, or they're a certain race. And that's not okay. And you can argue, oh, well, people are being too sensitive. It's like, it's too many times. It's too many times. You know, if there's the odd comment and somebody didn't know it would make somebody else feel like crap or, or, or something like that, then yeah, that's something we can deal with. You know, that's like if somebody said something they didn't mean to make somebody feel offended or whatever, then that's something we can work with, you know? You can't ignore that somebody, that it made somebody feel bad. You can't ignore that. But you can work with the two sides. Because the two, one side said something which made somebody else feel bad, but that side doesn't want to do that. They did it accidentally. You can work with that. I don't get the feeling like Cornette didn't want to piss people off. I think he did. And I think that's just, it's too many times. But I don't think this is going to hurt NWA power. Um, I think they got a very talented broadcast team. And I think when they start presenting the shows that are taped in mid-December, that this is going to be, they're just going to move on. And I don't really think people are going to miss Cornette all that much. He was not like an essential part of the broadcast. If you got rid of Nick Aldis, then I'd be like, oh man, there's some problems here. But Nick Aldis is still there and Jim Cornette's leaving, so it's fine. So let's quickly go over the results of NWA Power. We're getting a, a few more storylines starting to develop and a homegrown crowd favorite in the question mark is starting to really uh, gain a bit of a following. But let's just quickly go through this. So we opened it up, Nick Aldis. Uh, said he'd face Trevor Murdoch in a non-title match. The end of this match sort of came. It looked like Murdoch was having problems with his knee. He came off the top rope sort of funny. And then uh, Aldis caught him in a cloverleaf. And Murdoch tapped out. I have no idea where when uh, the Cornette comment was originally made. I, I, I didn't watch the show before. Uh, it uh, came out. So then the Rock and Roll Express came out and announced they won a shot at the NWA Tag Team Champions, who of course are the Wild Cards, um, Royce Isaacs and um, uh, Latimer. And they are now kind of with Camille. And Latimer would say that uh, them and Camille, or him and Camille are only friends. 
But we've also sort of seen, like, I think the wild cards and Nick Aldis might end up being aligned. So Camille's been kind of coming around during the wild cards matches. Um, I feel I feel like there could be there could be a coming together of the wild cards and Nick Aldis. I don't, I don't know. But on this show, Nick Aldis sort of said when asked that when Camille's not by his side, she's her own person. She's doing whatever. So if she, she's got other clients, whatever. She's working with wild cards, whatever. It has nothing to do with me, he more or less said. And with Nick Aldis, we've got this sort of thing where I feel like he's a good guy, but it's an act. And underneath the act, he's a bad guy. Now, this is just, that's just speculation based on, you know, me watching the show, but who knows? Then we had the question mark and Ricky Starks went to a no, que or a, no a no contest. And man, the fans are really behind the question mark. I mean, he gets big reactions from the live studio crowd, even though he's kind of a bad guy. Now, Aaron Stevens came out, and he attacked Ricky Starks during this. And, and Colt Cabana came out and made the save. So now we've got uh, the question mark and Aaron Stevens are, are pretty much aligned here. But it looks like the crowd wants to cheer the question mark. They don't so much enjoy cheering Aaron Stevens quite as much. Uh, then we had a tag match featuring Thunder Rosa and Marty Bell going up against Allison Kay and Ashley Vox. And it was Thunder Rosa and Marty Bell picking up the victory here for their team. And it was when Melina came down and made her first NWA appearance, and this provided the distraction for Thunder Rosa to roll up the NWA Women's Champion and get the pin. So now you wonder, hey, is this going to lead? Are we going to get Thunder Rosa challenging for the NWA Women's World Championship? And it also looks like we have a three-person unit of Melina, Marty Bell, and Thunder Rosa. And there's always those weird drums that go on. Well, Thunder Rosa is out there. Have you noticed that? There's like, their theme music is drumming. Then in the main event, we had the question mark and Aaron Stevens going up against Ricky Starks and Colt Cabana. And really, the story of this match was just how popular the question mark is. Of course, we've seen these old school vignettes for several weeks now, or several weeks uh, leading up to his first actual appearance. And this just really old-school throwback character has gotten over with the fans so much so that they would cheer for him while booing his uh, partner, Aaron Stevens, in this match. And Stevens would get the win or get the pin on Ricky Starks to end this match. And all the while, the crowd cheering for the question mark and booing Aaron Stevens. So... A lot of fun storylines to keep your eye on in the NWA. I think Nick Aldis and... Uh, well, okay, so the Nick Aldis thing again. This storyline where 
he's working to be portrayed as the face of the NWA, all that's good and true about pro wrestling. But then Joe Galley on commentary, Joe Galley suspects that there's a more selfish underlying motivations in Nick Aldis. Then we got the Rock and Roll Express. Seem like they want to challenge the wild cards. And we've got the rising popularity of the question mark. So a lot going on on the NWA that is worth paying attention to. But let's move on to AEW Dynamite from last night. The show opened up with just uh, two, two straight-up matches to start things off. Phoenix defeated Nick Jackson. Now, during this match, Nick Jackson was seen favoring his the same leg that he had injured in his match last week. Or, sorry, at uh, full gear. It was the Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful. Nick Jackson injured his leg in that match by missing a kick and kicking the steel post. That would end up coming in to play in the finish of this match. This week, Matt Jackson not in attendance as he was power-bombed through the stage last week, so he was at home. And then Phoenix just straight-up beat Nick Jackson here. And, uh, you know, Phoenix is the former AAA Mega Champion, as we discussed last week. It looks like the Lucha Bros are going to be split... Well, not split up, but they're going to be going more into singles action. Uh, Phoenix and uh, Kenny Omega will possibly move into a rivalry. They will, at least in AAA. But Pentagon Jr. and Christopher Daniels look like they're building up a singles rivalry. Hikaru Shida defeated Britt Baker. And so this was a match between the number one ranked uh, woman in the division, who was Baker at the time, and the number two ranked woman in the division, who was Hikaru Shida at the time, with the win... Hikaru Shida is going to move past Baker in the rankings. Uh, we've already got her as number one in the rankings now uh, with Britt Baker at number two. Then on Friday, when AEW's rankings come out, their top five, we'll change our top five to mirror their official top five, but I can't see them not moving Shida past Baker after this win here. Next up, we had the Diamond Dozen Battle Royal, and this was 12 wrestlers in a battle royal, and the last two will meet next week with the winner receiving a diamond ring, which I have to say is pretty similar to the Battle Bowl ring from WCW. And if you're following along with the Monday Night War podcast that I do with Jeff Moss, Diamond Dallas Page is currently like the Battle Bowl winner, so he has a ring that he's defending. And you know, I mean, DDP's backstage at AEW, so I wonder if this was his idea or if somebody was remembering when he did this, but regardless, that's that's what's going to happen. And the final two wrestlers in this battle royal were Hangman Page and Maxwell Jacob Friedman. It looked like it was actually Hangman Page and Jungle Boy. However, MJF pulled the whole I was never eliminated uh, thing and then eliminated Jungle Boy at the end. So Hangman Page versus MJF. Hangman Page has left the elite. That is the, the story long. He's 
storyline. He's no longer a member of the Elite, but he'll be going up against Cody's big rival next week on Impact Wrestling. Then there was a quick match. Luchasaurus defeated Peter Avalon. There's also a very funny BBC Earth parody going around of the Jurassic Express. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I think that's just on the AW uh, Twitter page or something. Uh, Private Party defeated Proud and Powerful in a match that was dedicated to uh, the memory of Matt Travis, who is a House of Glory wrestler who was tragically killed recently uh, while cycling in New York. So uh, sort of sad there. Uh, both those teams are from House of Glory. Uh, Private Party able to pick up the, the big win over you know, a top-ranked team. And so in the last top five, Private or Proud, eh, Proud and Powerful were ranked number two. So with the win, Private Party should move past them and be ranked number two. We've got them as ranked number two in our rankings. Uh, on Friday, when the AEW official rankings come out, I would imagine that's going to be similar. And then finally, in the main event, John Moxley defeated Darby Allen, And this was a case of, uh, Darby Allen's got all the heart in the world. It takes a lot to finish him off, but John Moxley is uh, just on another level. And you have to start wondering now: When is John Moxley going to face Chris Jericho for the AEW World Championship? Well, it won't be next week because we found out who's going to face Chris Jericho for the AEW World Championship next week, and it was during. A talking segment this week on Dynamite, where Chris Jericho came out, and uh, he he actually had Jack Hager apologize for sort of the temper tantrum that he threw after losing the tag team championship match on last week's show. Uh, but this brought out SCU, and then they did this whole thing where. They said, oh, well, yeah, you know, uh, since Scorpio Sky is the first person to pin you, we'd like a match, but, oh, we need that match to be, oh, a long ways away. You know, like a month, two months, we need to do a training camp. And, of course, this was all just negative, or what's it called, reverse psychology, right? So Jericho hears that they want to have a match uh, later in the future, and he thinks, oh, I'll outsmart them, and we'll have this match next week. But what Jericho didn't figure out is that's what SCU wanted all along. They wanted the match to be next week. And then, then they were thinking, oh, well, you know, Scorpio Sky said like, well, I don't deserve a title match. It, it shouldn't be for the title, you know. But again, this was all reverse psychology. And Jericho thinks, oh, they don't want this to be a title match. Well, this will be for the AEW World Championship. And of course, Chris Jericho leaves the scene thinking he got everything his way. But Scorpio Sky and SCU ended up getting everything their way. They, or Scorpio Sky rather, will challenge Chris Jericho for the AW World Championship on next week's episode, which will emanate from the Sears Center Arena in Chicago, Illinois. Well, actually just outside of Chicago, Illinois, but you know, all the same. So we got three matches for next week's Dynamite Jericho versus Sky for the title. Kenny Omega versus Pac was also announced with Kenny Omega cutting a little promo saying that his path of redemption starts next week. He can go up against someone who's already beat him 
in AEW. So we'll see what happens there. Also next week, uh, we'll get Hangman Page versus Maxwell Jacob Friedman competing for that diamond ring. So finally, just before we go, want to run down the announced cards for uh, War Games and Survivor Series coming up this weekend. Now, uh, as has been discussed, uh, in outside of the United States, the Wednesday Night War does not happen. And so N NXT will air tonight on the WWE Network. So if there is any, amount, uh, any matches announced for War Games on last night's show, I don't know about it. So here is the here's the breakdown of the matches for war games that were announced as of like Wednesday before NXT aired. Uh, so we got the women's division war games match: Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, and Kaylee Ray will go up against Rhea Ripley, Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, and Candice LeRae. Then in the men's war games match, it'll be the Undisputed Era going up against Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, and one other person to be named later. They likely were named last night, and I just don't know yet. There will also be a number one contendership match for the NXT Championship on Saturday at War Games, and it'll be a triple threat match. Pete Dunne versus Killian Dane versus Damian Priest. Also booked for War Games, Finn Balor versus Matt Riddle. Uh, and then on Survivor Series, we'll just run down the eight matches that have been announced so far. We'll get a no-holds-barred match for the WWE Championship. Brock Lesnar going up against Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio. For the Universal Championship, we'll get Bray Wyatt defending against Daniel Bryan. A tag team champion versus champion versus champions triple threat match will involve the champions from Raw, the Viking Raiders, up against the champions from SmackDown, New Day, up against the champions from NXT, Kyle O'Reilly, and Bobby Fish. There will be a triple threat match, which will be women's champion versus women's champion versus women's champion as the champion from Raw, Becky Lynch, goes up against the champion from SmackDown, Bailey, and up against the champion from NXT, Shayna Baszler. Then there will be a triple threat match involving the mid-card championship holders from each brand. AJ Styles, the United States champion, will go up against the Intercontinental champion, Shinsuke Nakamura, up against the NXT North American champion, Roderick Strong. There will also be an NXT Championship match on Survivor Series as Adam Cole will defend against whoever wins the triple threat match at War Games between Pete Dunne, Killian Dane, Damian Priest. Uh, then there will be two traditional Survivor Series matches. Oh, actually, none of them are traditional because there will all be three teams. But there will be a Team Raw versus Team SmackDown versus Team NXT women's match with the Raw team being Charlotte Flair, Natalia, Asuka, Kerry Sane, and Sarah Logan. Sarah Logan, all right, good for her. Uh, team SmackDown will be Sasha Banks, Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, and Nikki Cross. Team NXT has not been announced. Maybe they did it last night. And then same thing with the men's divisions. Team Raw will be Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet. Team SmackDown will be Roman Reigns, Mustafa Ali, Braun Strowman, King Corbin, and Shorty G. And then Team NXT uh, has not been announced as of this writing. 
And that's going to do it for this show. Thanks again, everyone, for supporting spoiler-free wrestling. Also, please check out the podcast I do with Jeff Moss, The Greatish War, as we run down the Monday Night Wars starting in 1996. The most recent episode up on our website, we review the June 10th, 1996 Raw and the June 10th, 1996 Nitro. And the Nitro is the go-home show before the Great American Bash. We'll be talking about the, the Bash as well as the Raws and Nitros after the Bash on the next episode. So thanks again, everyone. I'm the Eye Guy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.